Warning. Do not listen to this podcast while operating heavy machinery or driving a motor vehicle. This podcast is designed to put you to sleep as soon as possible by boredom. Operating a vehicle or machinery could result in dismemberment or death. Otherwise, welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast, the podcast that puts you to sleep. If you're up tossing and turning at night, mind racing and stuff like that, you're in the right place. I'm Dear Scooter. I'm going to talk to you tonight, and it's slowly going to get more and more boring, and you're going to fall asleep. All you need to do is put the phone, your phone to the side, the speakers, or facing you, or put on a Bluetooth speaker or whatever, and just listen to the sound of my voice, and I promise I will do my best to get you off to dreamland. That's what the Sleeping With Me podcast is here for, to put you to sleep. If you find something you like or you don't like, email me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. Tweet me at Dearest Scooter. Just let me know if something works, something doesn't, because I'm, all I'm trying to do is bore you to sleep. Pretty simple. We'll, we'll start out, if this is your first time, it's going to start out a little bit interesting, and you might learn something tonight. But go ahead, you can find us on the web with tons of sleep tips at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. And if you can review us or rate us on iTunes or let a friend know or a stranger, it'd be great. And if you do, let me know and I will send you a bonus episode from The Walking Dud where Bob sings Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid. And tonight we're covering Season 4, Episode 7 of The Walking Dead, the boring parts. Tonight we're going to cover metaphor and similes, quicksand, fine actor Kirk Acevedo, and we'll even touch on a little bit of Shakespeare. So sit back, get under those covers, and get ready to fall asleep. As I was watching this week's episode, I noticed I found myself saying metaphor alert when different things happened because I thought they were metaphors for things in the show. And then I realized since I'm of below average intelligence, I might not have been using the word metaphor correctly. And then I was like, is metaphor? I know metaphor and simile I learned, and I was pretty sure simile is the like and as. But I was like, are these things appearing in this episode? Are they metaphors or something else? And uh, so I did some research, and a metaphor is a figure of speech that describes a subject by asserting that it is on some point of comparison the same as another otherwise unrelated object. It's kind of like an analogy. It's a figure of speech, um, and it's also similar to similes, allegories, hyperbole, or hyperbole, or hyperbole, if you're not an idiot like myself. Or is it a motif, or is is this just imagery? And one of the prominent... uh, Metaphors, this article on uh, Wikipedia, I believe, pointed to is all the world's a stage and all the men and women are mere players. They all have their exits and entrances, and that's from Shakespeare, as you like it. And it says, you know, it's a metaphor because the world's not really a stage. It's kind of a, they're speaking figuratively. So, and then, you know, like a simile is like like or as. So, what were some of the things that came up this episode that I thought was, was that a metaphor or what? And one thing was the lake. It came up a couple times in that episode, and the governor initially was like, ooh, is there fish in there? Or, you know, kind of slimy creatures are in there. 
They're like, no, this lake is dead. It's placid, calm, kind of comforting possibly, but dead. And then by the end of the episode, it's undead. It's got that dude down there all freaking out and total uh, governor madness. So that one, I guess, is kind of like an image. It's, I mean, does the lake, is it a metaphor for the governor or his state of mind or the entire world? Like, that it might seem calm. I guess it is kind of like the governor. He, he does seem calm a lot of times. He's cool. They say he's got ice in his veins. So, but inside, is he dead? Or is he undead? I don't know. The uh, second one is the old leak in the ceiling. That was one that got my attention. I found myself scribbling down. It was, and it, could that be a simile? Like, the governor's mind's like a leaky faucet or a leak in the ceiling. But, you know, they pay people a lot more than to, to write these episodes than me. But it seemed like it was something that is just annoying, the slow drip. And you have something so easy to fix, but the governor hasn't fixed it. Even Martinez is like, dude, why don't you, why don't you fix that thing? On Here's some duct tape, bro. And even when the governor goes to fix it, he doesn't get around to fixing it. So is the governor's... Is that, gonna, is that one of the things that slowly drove him insane? I don't know. Or is the governor insane? I'm bringing up a lot more questions than answers here. We also had Alicia and Tara, and they're busting out some metaphors or something. The first one was, uh, I didn't know if this was a sexual innuendo, and I meant to look innuendo up. I don't even know what that means. But, uh, you know, she said, like, something about big guns versus Smith or Wesson's, her preference. But I found myself singing for the other, and I don't know if it's a metaphor or a, it's definitely not a hyperbole, but an allegory is like kind of, that's kind of like a parable. But when um, Alicia was getting her hand, the cut in her hand thing is, oh, that cuts cut steep. And it's like, I just wanted to bust out the first cut is the deepest. I don't know if I was going to sing the, the Cheryl Crow version or, or what, but and the, the lyrics of that song, it's kind of a sad song. Um, not that it had anything to do with this episode other than I was projecting it and singing it to those two women that were falling in love. But it's like, I would have given you all my heart, but there's someone who tore it apart. And she's taking almost all I've got. But if you want, I'll try to love again. Baby, I'll try to love again, but I know. The first cut is the deepest, baby, I know. The first cut is the deepest. Because when it comes to being lucky, she's cursed. And when it comes to loving me, she's worse. But when it comes to being loved, she's first. And that's how I know. First cut is the deepest, baby, I know. So it's like, kind of, I, I guess in some sense the governor could sing this. Because he's never going to recover, it seems. And it seems like the singer of the song is like, I'm going to try to recover and love you. But I'm probably not going to love you like I love this person before you. So in some sense, that doesn't make sense for the girls. But for the governor, he's trying again. But wherever he's been cut by his dad or his brother or the world, there's really he's not coming back from from, from the first cut, which was the deepest. Or maybe it was the second or third cut. Who knows? And what's up with that, you know... Halfway through the episode, he switches guns, and he's got that 
assault rifle thing that maybe that's the gun that's evil like it's possessing the governor and making him crazy because as soon as he gets that gun in his hand that's when the bad shit starts to happen and then I'll, I'll get into this more at the end but then there's also the crown and uh they're on the roof and he's like you know maybe i'll share the crown with you for me that was the his breaking point and what he was saying he didn't want was that he doesn't want to wear the crown and you know, there's the old saying, heavy is the heavy is the head that wears the crown. And I'll talk about the end of the episode. But it seems to me that in these episodes, and I love David Morrissey, I love the governor, so maybe I'm too pro-governor. But he, he seems tortured because he knows what needs to be done and because he's capable of doing it. Like in the episode before, he was kind of like, when he was talking to the little girl, she was asking him about his past camps or something. He said, the man tried, and he, he was trying to protect us. You know, he might have been doing wrong or evil, but it was to protect us. And So it's like, and at the same time, the governor can't resist it. And then once he goes in, he goes all in. Um, all, or that Martinez goes all the way into the pit. But So I don't know. Like I, I really am glad they took this breather. And someone online pointed out something that I was already thinking was like, it's kind of like the tail section on Lost and when they departed and hung out with those guys. And I was also like, man, Bob, that's in the prison, would have loved this camp because they're hitting the sauce that day hard. I'm like, man, they got a lot of booze. Like they had actually, I mean, they only had a six pack of beer. Then the next thing you know, they got bottles of beer, bottles of booze. And I'm like, man, Bob, if he knew it, be like, Bob, you missed the best party ever, bro. I got off track there, and I don't even know what I got off track about. But uh, So, yeah, I was off track, but I'm off track. And uh, if I can remember, I'll come back to it. But quicksand. Got a zombie quicksand pit there blocking the road. And quicksand, at least when I was a young man, that was like one of those things when you were playing in the woods about I don't even know well probably for me it was like seventh eighth ninth grade but probably for most kids it was like second third fourth grade you're always worried about stumbling into a a quicksand pit and either being lost or or being the hero and saving your buddy from a quicksand pit or like man like I didn't get travel much as a kid but I'm sure people that were traveling I'm like well be careful you're going to Europe or somewhere like that they might have quicksand there man you're going going to the Ohio? Is that one of the states with quicksand? So I looked up about quicksanding. Quicksand is a colloid hydrogel consisting of fine granular materials such as sand, silt, clear water. It forms in saturated loose sand when the sand is suddenly agitated. I guess this is a metaphor too. Like the governor's like, quicksand. <laughs> I'm really stretching. Or what about motif? Uh, Motif is a word I had to look up, too. It's a recurring symbolic element. Now, quicksand might not be the motif, but the the lake could have been a motif. And worms and loamy soil. But anyway, back to the quicksand. You know, quicksand can form in standing water or upwards flowing water, like from an artisan's spring. Liquefaction. Is uh, I, I live in the Bay Area, and that's a buzzword out here because of earthquakes, and that's when uh, a specialized case, case of quicksand, when an 
earthquake increases the pore pressure of shallow groundwater and the saturated liquefied soil loses strength, calling buildings or other objects to sink or fall down. Quicksand is a non-Newtonian fluid for all you brainiacs. I don't know what that means. Probably can't drop it out of a tree. It has a solid form, gel, but a minor change in the stress on quicksand will cause a sudden decrease in viscosity. You know, they're always talking about viscosity on uh, motor oil ads. Quicksand itself is harmless, and this was proved on a Mythbusters episode. I will put that in the show notes. I think it was season two, but it's harmless. A human or animal is unlikely to sink entirely into quicksand due to the higher density of the fluid. Uh, continued or panic movement might cause you to sink deeper. I mean, that's what they always told us in the adventurers stories or whatever. It's like, you know, just stay still, stay calm, and then grab a branch or your whip or, or the horse or whatever. It said that uh, another thing, according to Slate, Quicksand had its heyday in the 60s when 3% of all films showed to someone sinking in sand, mud, or clay. But I guess it became a trope of adventure fiction, so it fell out of... Um, and trope's not my word, of course, I'm reading that. Uh, it fell out of favor. Uh, the uh, episode of Mythbusters was called Quiller, Killer Quicksand, and yeah, they said that since it's denser than water and the density of the liquid the greater the buoyancy of objects within. So Adam and Jamie got into a tub of quicksand and were entirely safe, and they floated about waist high. So they said anyone who's going to die, it's going to be from the elements, like dehydration or exposure, or maybe like rats or zombies or something eating your head. Any more about quicksand here? No. Well, we got a birthday alert here. Someone joined the cast this past couple episodes. His name's Kirk M. Acevedo. And he's one of a, a character actor, I guess would be the, what you'd call him. He, he always seems like he brings something. I, I always find I enjoy him. And I think he's a good actor. And I think he always he brings a certain gravitas, if I knew what that meant. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kirk. You, you, you're, he does a great job. And he always... He always brings something extra to his roles. And it just happens to be his birthday tomorrow. He was born uh, November 27th in Brooklyn, New York. He's 5'10". Oh, I just said he was born in Brooklyn, and then uh, this IMDb says he was born in the Bronx. Hugging out in New York City, he's Puerto Rican Chinese descent. He got his... BFA from SUNY Purchase, found, found, founded a theater company called the Rorschach Group. And now in the interest of falling asleep, I'm just going to read through his IMDb profile. 2014, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, he played Carver. 2013, Walking Dead, Mitch Dolgen. Blue Bloods, Jave Tic-Tac Baez. Person of interest, Timothy Sloan, also 2013. Law and Order, SVU, 2005 to 2013. Eddie Eduardo Garcia and DA investigator Hector Salazar. Man, maybe he's playing a, like a doppelganger. 
2013, CSI New York, Boyd, James Boyd. CSI regular, also James Boyd. The Mentalist, Christian Dos Santos. And one of those episodes is called Red Dawn, which is a great 80s movie. Prime Suspect, Detective Luisto Calderon. Collision Earth 2011, Dr. James Preston. Who could forget him as Charlie Francis on Fringe? I can't. 2009, White Collar, he played Ruiz. Charlie Francis again. Cold Case, he played Dylan Noakes. 2007. 2007, The Darkness Video Game, Jackie Estacado. 2007, The Black Donnellys, Nikki Cotero. 2006, Invincible, he played Tommy. 2006, Five Up, Two Down, Santo. 2006, 24, the TV series, George Alvia. He's only on one episode. I would have figured 24 would have snagged him for a whole season. Numbers, the TV series, Gino McGinty, 2006. 2006, The Running Man. Oh, that was the episode of Numbers, Gino McGinty. 2005 to 2006, Law and Order Trial by Jury. He reprised Hector Salazar, DA investigator. The New World, 2005, he played a century. NYPD Blue, 2004, Scott Grafton in Take My Wife, Please episode. 2004, I Paradise, Manny Marquez. 2003, Fastlane, Nick McCusick. Oz, that's another seminal role for him. Miguel Alvarez. Band of Brothers, he's played Staff Sergeant Joseph Toy. Another great movie. Third Watch, Pauly Fuentes. Dinner Rush, he played Duncan. Bait, he played Ramundo. 2000, The Visit, P Prospective Parolee. 2000, In the Weeds. Kurt, 2000, Boiler Room. Brooker, Broker, oh, Broker. <laughs> that movie was a breakout for Vin Diesel's career. Sentinel, 1999, Ray Aldo. Thin Red Line, another, I think he won an award for that one. Private Tella, Arresting Gina in 1998, he played a caller. 1998, Witness to the Mob, TV movie. 1997, Kirk and Carrie, a short, he played Kirk. Played Bernard in the New York Undercover series, and Roman and Joey, Ramon and Joey Claudio. And a lot of these are New York shot series, so you see a lot of these repetitive New Yorker, New York-based actors in them. Uh... A lot. I, I, that's something I actually enjoy. And they were in. Uh, well, let's not go down that road. We, but let's just finish this up. The Promised Land. He played Bernard. Tag, you're dead. He played Ramon and Tasha in 1994. Joey Claudio. Law and Order 1996. Richie Morales. Swift Justice in 1996. Mark. He played. And 1996. The Sunshine Boys. So if you're still awake, I want to just touch on um, that, that concept of heavy is the head that wears the crown. The actual real quote um, is uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, and that's from Henry VI, part two. And it was the middle of a three-part thing. But what's interesting is that uh, 
in just this plot summary I read. I remember, um, unfortunately, when I when I was in college and I got to Shakespeare and Chaucer, that's when I realized I wasn't as as smart as I thought I was, and I really struggled to understand a lot of the meaning and the language. And I was always impressed that the, the professor who was Mr. Giannini, I think his name was, how he could, and the and the kids in the class that were actually very bright, like how they could pick out such stuff from Shakespeare and, and such such. Uh, I I mean I, I was I was it was kind of depressing. I was like, man, I'm really not. I thought I was some kind of brainiac, and I'm not. Not to say I don't have my skill set. I'm boring, so I got that right. But if I guess not, if you're still listening. Anyway, what was interesting when I was reading here was that it said uh, it's a history play by William Shakespeare, believed to be written in 1591, set during the time of King Henry the Sixth in England. Uh, Henry the Part One deals with uh, the loss of England's French territories and the war stuff leading up to the War of Roses, and Part Three deals with the War of the Roses, but Part Two which is where heavy is the head that wears the crown, or uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, focuses on the king's inability to quell the bickering of his nobles, the death of his trusted advisor. There was a trusted advisor. I guess you weren't, if you throw someone in a pit of zombies, an early trusted advisor. The rise of the Duke of York and the inevitability of armed conflict, which is what's going on in this episode. Another couple things from the back when we were talking about metaphors. It's like, a, is this a simile or a metaphor? It's like the governor's crazy as fuck. Now, you could be like, well, how crazy as fuck? That's kind of a term. But then it wouldn't, is it a metaphor? Because he re, that's actually more of a statement. Like, dude is crazy. Or, I don't know. So, if you're still listening, I'm going to read you some Shakespeare from uh, Henry the the Fourth. Or Henry the Sixth. It's from one of those, because I have contradicting information I'm looking at as I speak. So, be lucky you're not. You didn't have a moment like that recently where you're. And sometimes we need to learn that we're, we're not who we think we are. And it, it goes down to this. I mean, it, and the governor is kind of like, I wish I wasn't who I think I am, or. I wish I had choices of who I who I am, and all the, the little young little girls asking about good and evil, and then there's this whole seven thing with the punishment for people's crimes, and is there good people and bad people in this world in the world of Walking Dead? I don't know, but you're not a bad person for not being able to sleep, and you shouldn't be being punished. So let me help you here get to sleep. With the ex- this is the double, triple, extra boring part. Because I'm not an actor. I'm not Shakespearean. Well, anyway, okay. So, kind of settle in. How many thousand am I... In- oh, what's interesting? Okay, sorry. If you The little meaning I could dredge out of this quote is that he's having trouble getting to sleep. So, I guess there's some sort of kismet or... What was that Michael Eisner term he liked to use about how business is... I don't know. Anyway, maybe 
I'm meant to be here and you're meant to be listening right now. And maybe you'll fall asleep tonight and save the world because you're well better rested. How many thousand of my poor subjects are at this hour asleep? Oh, sleep. Oh, gentle sleep. Nature's soft nurse. How have I frighted thee that thou no more wilt weight my eyelids down and steep my senses in forgetfulness? Why I rather sleep liest thou in smoky cribs upon uneasy pellets stretching pellets stretching thee and hushed with buzzing night flies to thy slumber then in perfumed chambers of the great under canopies of costly state and lulled with the sound of sweetest melody O thou dull god why liest thou with the vile and loathsome beds and leavest the kingly couch a watch case or a common larum bell Wilt thou upon the high and giddy mast seal up the shipboy's eyes and rock his brains in the cradle of rude and imperious surge, and in the visitation of the winds, who take the ruffian billows by the top, curling their monstrous heads and hanging them, with deafening clamor in the slippery clouds, that with the hurly death itself awakes. Canst thou, O partial sleep, give thy repose? And in the calm and most stillest night, with all appliances and mean to boot, deny it to a king, then happy low lie down. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Well, you're not 